Tonight, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And as you're finding your place, I'm just going to share a quick testimony about the trip as well. And uh, I know that the Lord speaks to hearts in different ways, and so it's not uh, necessary that anybody else was spoken to in the way that I was spoken to and challenged uh, this week. But uh, looking ahead to that trip, I knew that we had a long car ride ahead of us. I knew that it was going to be around 15 to 16 hours. I knew that it was not going to be the most comfortable of car rides, and yet it never entered my mind to be bothered about the car ride. It was just an understood aspect of the trip. It was just an understood element of the trip. And as I looked ahead to the trip, I could tell from the weather that it was supposed to be hot. It was supposed to be muggy. There was rain in the forecast. I knew from what we had been told originally we were going to be meeting in a park. And knowing all that, the weather conditions, what was expected, what they were anticipating, it never entered my mind to be bothered by it. This is what it's going to be. We're going to make the best of it, and we're going to do what we can to, to help. And I told Susie, we're just going to be nasty. We're just going to be sweaty and sticky and and all these different things, and I said, that's just the way it is, and it was no big deal. And then whenever we got there and we began to interact with some of the kids, I enjoyed that, and I was challenged by it, and my heart went out to a few of them in particular. And then as everything wrapped up, knowing that we had another 15, 16-hour car ride ahead of us, again, it wasn't a, a bother. It wasn't anything that was a challenge or, or a, anything. It was just It was just part of it. And as I reflected on all that and my attitude toward the whole week, I thought to myself, why don't I have this same spirit in Pampa? I'm willing to take an entire week, travel in a car, literally 30-plus hours, go into a community center that's not as air-conditioned maybe as we'd like it to be and all this other stuff, and have a heart for kids that I'll probably never see again, why don't I have that same heart and that same spirit and that same attitude back home in Pampa? And so that's one of the things that the Lord really spoke to me about was, uh, for lack of better words, the hypocrisy of it. You know, to, to be willing to invest all that time and energy in people that I'll probably never see again why would I begrudge taking an hour out of my week to invest in someone here? Uh, why would I begrudge or bemoan the weather not being perfect or it needing to be perfect uh, before I would do something with the right spirit, the right attitude? And so uh, the hypocrisy of myself was something that was brought to my attention. And, of course, you don't like to see that in yourself, but uh, it, it, it was just obvious and there was no arguing it. And so I know that there is no question for me that tonight's message is it was, it, it was impressed or laid upon my heart, for lack of better words, even before I began to realize what I was struggling with or not even really struggling with, just failing in, uh, I, I know that the Lord was preparing some things for me. And so this message was not birthed, so to speak, out of my own personal failures. 
but it just sure seems to tie in well with my personal failures. And in a minute, I may be standing all alone, both literally and allegorically, but in a moment, you may be saying to yourself, hey, I, I know what you're talking about, and it's something I can identify with. So that being said, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be tonight, and I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. And let me just ask you, is it loud enough out there? Because it seems dead quiet up here. So if you can hear me okay, then that's fine. All right, so we're good. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, your goodness to us. And, Lord, I'm thankful for uh, the health, the strength, the ability, the freedom, all the things that uh, we try to be thankful for. Lord, I'm thankful for those things that allow us to be back tonight, and I pray that you would use this time to speak to our hearts. God, that you would use it to uh, challenge us, to grow us in our walk with you. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I want to begin by asking us to think about something that I know we all recognize, I know that we're all aware of, and that is this, that in this life there are many things that we might look at and say, that is gross, that is disgusting, that's foul, that's kind of putrid, that's, that's repulsive, it's, it's all these different words that we would use to describe something nasty or disgusting. You would agree, would you not, that there are a lot of nasty things in this world? All right, so three of us would agree. The rest of us, we're still waiting to determine whether or not we believe that. I think we would agree that there are a lot of nasty, gross things out there. Now, I, I know that I'm probably just hitting on a couple that uh, are especially nasty to me. These things may not bother you, but they bother me. Things like mice bother me. They're just disgusting. I, I know they're tiny. I know they don't pose a real physical threat to me. And yet they do when they scare me because I could have a heart attack or things of that nature. So in and of themselves, you wouldn't think they're a real threat. But I, I just I find mice to be extremely, extremely disgusting little rodents. I think bugs are nasty. You know, roly-poly doesn't bother me, but... When you start moving up to the bigger bugs, those black bugs, those water bugs, and, and those bugs like roaches and things like that, I, I just look at those bugs and I say, that's nasty. Would you agree with me that, that bugs are nasty? Or would you be like, no, I think bugs are pretty cool, and, and we welcome them into the home. I, I don't think that's how most of us would be. I think most of us would be like, yeah, that, that's nasty. That's disgusting. I think this is kind of gross, just myself personally, but I think head lice is kind of disgusting. <laughs> Some of you aren't going to agree to anything tonight. I can tell, and that's okay. But I just, I look at head lice, and I go, man, that's, that's kind of nasty. It's kind of gross and, and, and not one of my favorite things to be exposed to or to deal with. And so those would just be a few things, mice and bugs and uh, head lice and that kind of stuff. And, and in my mind, here is what I do, okay? You probably don't do this, but this is what I do. I assume that those disgusting things are found in disgusting places. You understand what I'm saying? That, that's how my mind works. Disgusting things are found in disgusting places. So disgusting places have issues with mice. 
disgusting places have issues with bugs of all different sorts. And not to be rude, but disgusting people are the ones who have head lice. That's how my mind works. Like, oh, they're dirty. They've got head lice. And that's the kind of people who have head lice. So that's how I tend to go through life. Disgusting things dwell in disgusting areas. And I'm okay with that mentality until those disgusting things show up in places that I don't expect them to show up or assume that they would show up. And then I'm forced to reevaluate my thoughts. What do you mean? I mean this. Well, mice live in disgusting areas. Disgusting people let mice just run all through their house all willy-nilly and no regard for it. And I'm okay with thinking that until they show up in my house. And then you know what I'm thinking? What's going on here? We're not disgusting people. Well, no, this just proves that disgusting things can pop up and a clean environment. You know, I, I think bugs are disgusting, but guess what we've had to do on a regular basis at our house? Have the exterminator come out. Why? Because things that I perceive to be disgusting can show up in my home. And I'm thankful that by the grace of God, myself and our kids have not ever had cases of lice, but Here's what I know. You can take the cleanest of people in all the world, and if they get exposed to it, they get exposed to it, and they can bring home the head lice like anyone else. And so again, I, I'm reminded of this truth. Something that is disgusting, something that is foul, something that is repulsive, all those words that we might use to describe a situation, we may think that it only exists in this certain area or this certain walk of life, but it can be seen and it can be revealed and it can be made known in any area of life. Amen. Now we know that, and you may say, well, why are we talking about that? Well, it's a principle that I want us to think about. In Luke chapter 11 tonight, here's what I want us to know just by way of some context, that in Luke chapter 11, Christ has already made some enemies and there are already some people who are looking to trap Christ in his words so that they might be able to use some of his own words against him. That's what some of the enemies of Christ are already trying to do by the time we come to Luke chapter 11. And of course we know this, that Christ was never going to fall prey to their tricks. He was never going to be outwitted by those who sought to trap him in his words. Obviously Christ was far above that and he was not going to, to be taken captive by his own words. We're aware of that, correct? And so in verse number 1 it says this of chapter 12, In the meantime... So what does that mean whenever it says, in the meantime? It just means this, that in that same time frame, in that same general uh, uh, chronology of events, it says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. So how many people are here? Well, it's innumerable. We have no idea, but it was more than a person could have done by way of a head count. There were just people everywhere, and it says, insomuch that they trod one upon another. 
So I'm sure you know what this would have looked like because most of us have probably been in situations like this where there are so many people that you're walking into people, you're running into people, you're basically stepping around people or over people, whatever is required to get to where it is you want to go. And this is the picture where Christ is at right now. He is in the midst of this multitude with people all around him. And notice what it says in verse number 1. He began to say unto his disciples first of all. So who is Christ about to speak to in verse number 1? In the midst of this sea of humanity, who is Christ going to be speaking to? It says he is going to be speaking to his disciples. So who would the disciples be in the midst of this mass of humanity? In this, this great sea of humanity, who are the disciples? Well, here is who they are, certainly among other things. They would be the minority of the group. And I'm not talking about from an ethnic standpoint. I'm not talking about from a race standpoint. But what I'm saying is this. By way of numbers, okay, the disciples most likely are referenced to the 12. But it could have been more because disciples simply mean student or pupil or learner. But regardless of how many it would have been a reference to, it would have been that they were in the minority by way of those who were there but were not necessarily the disciples of Christ. Now, I happen to think personally that this is a reference to the Twelve, but nonetheless, it doesn't change the facts that they would have been in the minority in the midst of this crowd that day. And so notice what Christ said to the disciples. He said, Beware. Beware. Now, I know that this is going to be simple. I know this is going to be basic, but I want us to think about this word. What does it mean when Christ says beware? It means this, to be on guard. To be on guard. It's the idea of being mindful of something. So in this sea of humanity with people all around in so much that you could not number them, here is what Christ does. He takes a small segment of that crowd. He takes just a small minority of those people, that being his disciples, and he says, men, you need to beware of some things. You need to be on guard of some things, and you need to be mindful of some things. So what is it that Christ wanted them to beware of? He said, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. You need to be on guard, and you need to be mindful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, we know what the Pharisees were, correct? They were a religious sect in the days of Christ and the disciples. They were a religious group. They were a religious movement. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, and you had other branches of other people. But those would have been the two primary groups of religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Christ said to the disciples, beware, be on guard, be mindful of the leaven of the Pharisees. So what is the leaven oftentimes a type of? It is oftentimes a type of sin. 
So whenever you read in the scripture of leaven, though it can be a literal reference to something that would be added to certain items by way of, uh, of food and what would be used to cook things, it is used as also a means to typify or to represent sin. And so Christ is saying, beware, be on guard, be mindful of the sin of the Pharisees. But what else does leaven mean? It's not just a type of sin. What does leaven mean? I, I, I looked it up and thought this interesting. You may or may not. But here is what leaven means just in a literal sense. It is an element that produces an alteration or transformation in something else. Obviously, a reference to food. But leaven is an element. It is a substance. It is an ingredient that produces an alteration or a transforming, a transformation of something else. Now, think about this. If, if leaven is a type of sin in the Scripture, and you look at that from a literal standpoint, then what is Christ reminding the disciples of? He is reminding them of this, that sin will alter and it will transform a person's life and it will do so in a negative sense. We've got to be aware of this as we go throughout the message. This is something that is important to us to be reminded that when sin is introduced into the life of a person, if the sin is not addressed, if the sin is not dealt with, here's what it will do. It will alter that person's life in a negative way, and it is going to transform that person's life in a negative way. We need to be reminded that sin left undealt with never has a neutral effect in any person's life. So here is Christ saying to the disciples, you need to beware, you need to be cautious, you need to be on guard, you need to be mindful of these things. You need to not play with the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees for this reason. You let their sin into your life and it will alter who you are. It will transform who you are it's going to impact your life in a negative fashion. It will never, ever be neutral. So if Christ had stopped there, you could take that thought and you could run a thousand different directions probably. But notice Christ just keeps getting more specific in his teaching the disciples in that moment. He said, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? I mean, if you all want to follow along, you're welcome to. Which is what? Hypocrisy. What is the sin that Christ is warning the disciples of at this moment? What is it that Christ is telling them? You want to be on guard as it relates to this, because if you let this into your life, it's going to alter you and it's going to transform you in a negative way. What is the sin that Christ was worried about and mindful of as it related to his disciples? It was the sin of hypocrisy. 
Obviously his words, not mine. He was warning them of the sin of hypocrisy. I don't know how you would typically or generally define the word hypocrisy, but I've heard it defined like this, saying one thing and doing another. Professing one thing and and living another way, and certainly that is hypocrisy, and and there's not a contradiction between that and what I'm about to say, but I, I, again, just looked up the word hypocrisy to see what it's defined as, and here's how hypocrisy is defined. It's the acting of a stage player. It's pretending, or, okay, let me rephrase that. It's the acting of a stage player. It is acting under a feigned, or what we might call a fictional part. So here's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is just one who plays the part, but it's not real. The hypocrite is the one who has this fictitious role that they like to present, but it's not who they really are. Now think about this. Beware of the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees. Beware of their sinful activities because it will alter and it will transform who you are. What sin are you speaking of, specifically Christ? I'm speaking of their hypocrisy, the fact that what they present is not who they really are. See, the Pharisees, we know this, they love to present themselves as spiritual people, right? The Pharisees love to present themselves as godly people. They love to present themselves as people who had an understanding of the law. They love to present themselves as people who had, who had the issues of life together. And yet, what did Christ bring to the attention of everyone in their day? He brought to the attention to those who would listen in their day that the Pharisees were not anything of what they presented themselves to be. And I think we know this, and I think it's fair to say this, that there was not a real strong measure of affection from the physical standpoint of things between Christ and the disciples. Would we agree with that? Christ did not mince any words whenever he described the Pharisees to the general public. He was more than happy to call them out for what they were. And so, for lack of better words, I don't want to be the one putting words in the mouth of Christ, but I think it is fair to say, based on what we read, that Christ was disgusted by the behavior of the Pharisees. He was repulsed by the behavior of the Pharisees. He wasn't impressed by the behavior of the Pharisees. It was something that would have been disgusting, for lack of better words, how they presented themselves and what they truly were. So here is Christ in the midst of the multitude, 
And the same time where people have been trying to capture him and his words and trip him up and trying to get him to say things that, that they could later use against him, and he says to who? The disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Well, Christ, why are you warning the disciples? For this reason. That disgusting, repulsive character trait of the Pharisees can be found anywhere. It's not just some disgusting character trait that would only be true of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or, or some other religious sect that had twisted the Scripture and had gone their own way. He said, listen, it's not just that arena of life that can be infected by this, this, this problem of, of, of hypocrisy and this feigning a part that's not real. He said, you who are my disciples... You need to guard against the same sin being found in your life because it can be found in your life. And if it's found in your life, it will alter you and it will transform you in a negative, hurtful manner. Now this evening, I'm not going to stand up here and try to coax answers out of you. I just want us to think about this. How many of us tonight have ever known people, for lack of better words, they played the part of a Pharisee? We've all known people like that, right? You don't need to be nervous. You don't need to be scared. I'm just saying we've all known people like this. And, and, and in their part of playing the, the role of a Pharisee, what are they trying to do? They're trying to do the same thing that Pharisees were doing thousands of years ago. They're trying to give off this appearance of having everything together, of having everything in place, of having all their ducks in a row, of being godly, of being spiritual, of being what they're supposed to be, when in reality, that is not at all who they are behind closed doors. We've known situations like this over the course of our lives. I'm not telling you anything new. We, we've all known the people who wanted to look so good and so proper on the outside, and you come to find out their home is a mess, their children are a mess, their spiritual lives are a mess, They're, they've got problems with this, problems with that, but, but on the outside, they sure like to play the part, do they not? Well, it's obviously disgusting, and it's repulsive, and it's something that, that, that should be sickening to us. Maybe it ought to disturb us as much as head lice or bed bugs or, or roaches or something of that nature. We ought to look at hypocrisy and say, that is disgusting and that is vile and that is repulsive and, and, and there's, there's nothing attractive about that. And, and yet, while that is true, I want to remind us of something tonight. And again, I used my words carefully just a few moments ago. But I want to remind us tonight that the message still needs to be given to the disciples of Christ for this reason. The leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, can be introduced into any of our lives. And if we let it go unchecked, you know what it'll do? It will alter and it will transform our lives in a negative, hurtful manner. 
Let me go back to my testimony just a moment ago. I can have a burden for people I've never met who I'll probably never see again. But I can't have a burden for people across the street, and I can't have a burden for people a a half mile or two miles away or five miles away. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. You don't have to get excited about my sin. I'm just being honest with you. There's nothing... There's no other way to describe it than to say that is pure hypocrisy on my part. How dare me try to give off this perception that I've got this great burden and I've got this great desire if I won't do here what I'm willing to do someplace a thousand miles from here. Now, friends, that's just one area of my life that I can point to. And I said a moment ago, I may stand here both literally and allegorically by myself. But I want us to think about this. How many of us, if we would have to be honest, we would have to say things like this. There have been times and there have been moments and there have been seasons in our lives where that disgusting, nasty, repulsive sin of hypocrisy that we thought only existed in some other corner of the earth found its way into our lives. Have we ever been there? Well, we want to give off the perception that everything's good and everything's fine. We've got all the answers and we've got all the right positions and everything about us is exactly as it needs to be and yet, truth be told, if, if the curtain could be pulled back, so to speak, here is what would be found. We were just playing a part. We were just an actor on the stage trying to convince other people of what we wanted them to think we were, but we weren't. The sin the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, can be found and seen in any of us at given times in our lives, and it always alters us and transforms us in a negative manner. For just a moment, I want to look at two other verses so that we can see something just by way of principle. Christ went on to say to the disciples, he said, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. What is Christ saying? He is simply saying this, Disciples, at some point your hypocrisy will be made known. At some point your hypocrisy will be revealed. It's in the context of verse number 3 that we see that he's talking about the spoken word, what's said in darkness, or spoken in an ear like a secret in a closet. He said it's going to come out, but the principle is seen vividly in verse number 2. There is nothing covered 
that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Christ was simply telling his disciples, you can play the part. And you can play the part for some amount of time. And so for some amount of time in your life, you can appear to have all the answers here, and you can appear to have all the answers here, and, and you can appear to be so godly here and so spiritual here and, and have your act together. You can play the part for a while. But he says, disciples, you need to know this, that at some point, what is in the recesses of your life, what is in the hidden parts of your life, at some point it is going to be revealed and it is going to be made known. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. I don't know how many people would stand before you and say, hey, listen, I, I'm identifying some of my hypocrisy tonight. I'm not trying to deny it. I, I don't know how prevalent that is. But what I'm saying to us tonight is this, is if you've ever had your hypocrisy exposed, you know how painful it really is. If you've ever had your wife look at you and say, you're such a hypocrite, you know that that one kind of stings a little bit. If your children have ever pointed out your hypocrisy before, that's a tough pill to swallow. If that coworker or that family member has ever brought to your attention your hypocrisy, it's not a fun road to go down. But Christ said, disciples, you need to be aware of this. That this sin of leaven or this sin of hypocrisy you don't get to play the part forever without the sin being revealed and the sin being exposed. It's been said many times, I'm not the originator of the statement by any stretch, but the saying goes something like this, time tells the story on everyone. It just does. Time reveals who we are and what we really are because if it's not real, we can't keep up the charade forever. And so this night or this evening, we, we may think of the, the leaven of the, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We may look at that and we may say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so, they're a real hypocrite, and I know so-and-so, they're a real hypocrite, and man, that's disgusting and it's repulsive, and, and I just can't stand hypocrites. I, I know most people can't. And yet if we're not careful, where we think hypocrisy could not be found, that being in our own lives, is where it will be found. And it's no less repulsive in our lives than it is in anyone else's life. And so tonight, I'm not up here calling anybody a hypocrite. I'm not up here tonight saying you're fakes and you're phonies and you're frauds and you're not going to be able to keep it up forever. But I would say this. If there is some hypocrisy in your life, like I've had to admit there's been some in my life, I'm just going to remind you tonight you can't keep it up forever because time will tell the story on you like it does everyone else.
And what would be best is if we addressed it before God had to expose it. Because if God has to address it and if God has to expose it, it's going to be humiliating, it's going to be painful, it's going to be unenjoyable, but it will be deserved because we played the part when we knew it wasn't real. We need to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know what is taking place in the life of any individual here this evening. Lord, the scripture is clear that I can't even fully know without your help what's happening in my life. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do what only you can do, to speak to our hearts, to show us where there might be any leaven of hypocrisy in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to address it tonight with your help, if it's present. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.